Thanks very much. Thank you, Ali, the worship team, for leading us in our worship this morning. I'm just going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'll read from verse 13. Just while you're doing that, just to just clarify something, that t- tonight I'm actually not preaching on Ephesians 6, I'm preaching on Ephesians 5. You know, it's got, it's got an intriguing title, uh, and that is Taxi for Wilson. And the reason for that is because, well, one of the phrases in it will give you a give it a wee bit of a clue. One of the phrases in it is, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. <laughs> I don't really want a taxi, I want two bodyguards. Uh, I've already got Jonathan, he's a good barrier on one side, I need another one. But I just want to make it clear, you won't only be required at church, I want you to stay with me all night. <laughs> oh yes. Right, okay. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear. Thank you. Okay. Verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Thanking God today again for his word. Let's just pray. And Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we pray that you'll place in each of our hearts that that desire to be holy, that desire to seek holiness, and that knowledge that holiness comes as we seek you above all things. Lord, lead us in your word now, in Jesus' name. Amen. For a number of years now, the Baptist Union Assembly, they've had an idea of trying to make it a more inspirational and uplifted event. Maybe that's why it's usually unlovable. I don't know, I can't say anymore. But, you know, so they've, they've tried to listen down the business sessions. But I want to say that I can remember some highlights from my early days in ministry, and some of them actually came from the business sessions where there were some interesting titles and some interesting discussions at the time. And I kind of liked it, the people that I chanced to really say what was on their heart. But I have to admit, at times these business sessions could be long and could be boring. But there's one event, one day that really does stand out for me. And it was actually at the Baptist Union Assembly way back in 1966. 19, no, not 66. 1996. It's the World Cup, that's my mind here. Anyway, and it had been a long day. And, and then Bill Clark, who at that time was the pastor of Deadridge Baptist Church in Livingston, he was asked to, to share something about sabbatical studies, and sabbaticals were a pretty new thing at that time, and he, he didn't take long to do it, just 10 or 15 minutes, but what he shared got me, and I'm sure many others who were there on that day, kind of woken up and thinking, because see, what he'd done was he took the time to look at 25 typical Baptist churches, and by that he meant memberships of between 50 and 100. And then what he did was he, he concentrated on their baptismal figures as maybe the best indicator of the health 
of their evangelistic life and just of the general health of the life of the church. And here's what he found. In 1960, these 25 churches baptized a total of 240 people. In 1995, between them, they baptized 40. Now those, I think, are pretty frightening figures, which I'm sad to say I would imagine may well have deteriorated in the intervening years. And, and we know, don't we, that this doesn't just affect churches of between 50 and 100, because we've seen something of a decline over these years. So what's gone wrong? Well, the tentative conclusion that Bill shares, the reasons for this, why this kind of decline has come about, he shared two reasons. First, he put forward the suggestion that we've lost faith in the gospel in that period. We still love the gospel at a personal level, we do. But we've lost faith in it in the sense that we seem not to believe in the way that we once did that the simple gospel message is in itself sufficient to meet the needs of a sophisticated, scientific, materialistic society. Also, that we've lost faith in the transforming power of God, to some degree, in the fact that God really can turn lives around, that he can set the prisoners free, that he can bring light out of darkness. Now, there are a number of things that I would like to, to add here, including that there are other factors that are at play, such as where we are in history as a society, as a culture. For I believe that the United Kingdom today is in a, a subtle way, one of the most difficult and antagonistic environments to live in, to be a Christian, that there's ever been. It's subtle. But it's there. But also, I would want to add that I'm not surprised that we've lost confidence in the power of God to transform lives in the community around us. I'm not surprised because, you see, we're seeing too little of the transforming power of God in the community of God's people. We're seeing too little growth in the grace of God. We're seeing too little of the compassion of God. Too little of the holiness of God. Why? Well, I believe, first of all, that because for too long we've accepted what we see around us, what we've experienced as the way things should be. This is it. It's as good as it gets. And so the desire, the hunger to see God at work in our lives as he's worked in the lives of people in days past, well, that's not there in the way that it once was. And underlining many, if not all, of our problems is, in my view, the way we handle the Bible, the way we handle today the Word of God. For I don't believe the Bible is held in the same regard as it once was. That's in society in general. And it's affected us. And so it's not read, and above all, it's not obeyed by God's people now as it should be. Now maybe what's unwittingly contributed to this has been perhaps the emphasis in recent decades on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which I want to make clear that in itself is no bad thing, the, the very opposite. 
For as Christians, we have to be all for the life and power of the Spirit, seeking to know the life and power of the Spirit. But you see, when this leads us at times, I think it has, to the undermining of the Bible and the importance of the Bible, then that is bad. Because you see, the facts are that biblically, the Bible and the Spirit aren't unrelated to one another, nor to the very contrary. They work together. They're intended to work in tandem, in partnership. The two belong together. The Word is the sword of the Spirit, and it's the two together which have got power to break those chains that bind us and to make us into that very likeness of Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, whatever experiences of the Spirit we may have or may claim that we have, these will never be built on and sustained without the help and the feeding of the Word of God. Well, all this is related to what I want to look at you now from these verses we read in, in 1 Peter, which is the kind of transforming work that God does want to do in each one of us. That transforming work, what it means when he says he wants us to be a holy people in Christ. What that means and how we can better bring this into being. But before we go on to look at this in a, in a bit more detail, I just want to, to say two things just now. To those who are maybe on the verge, I don't know, of a commitment to Christ, or those who've made that, that commitment, but perhaps aren't too far along the Christian road. And that is, first of all, please understand that God does want you to be holy. That that's part and parcel of what it means to come to know Jesus Christ. It's not just say a prayer, get a nice feeling and a guarantee of going to heaven and then go on to live life as you used to do. Go on to live a largely unchanged life. No, coming to know Jesus means, should mean, a changed life, a holy life, something that affects every part of who you are and what you are. It means things like honesty, decency, sobriety. It affects what you say, it affects what you do, it affects where you go. And we see, once you come to know Jesus, let me be clear, it's not a burden to live like this. No, it's supposed to be a joy. It's a joy. You should want to live like this. You will want to live like this to please the Lord and to show Him that you love Him. The God who in His love in Christ gave everything for you. And if you don't want to live like this, or if you aren't living like this, then I want to say, you do not yet understand or appreciate, you are not yet experiencing the love of Jesus in the way that you should. The second thing I want to say, and again it's to those who are either on the verge of faith or young in the faith, is, is I want to apologise for the poor example of holiness that maybe we've given to you as Christians in today's society. Now, I've already said there are reasons for this. We've touched on some of them. We'll go to some in more detail. But for now, let me say that sadly there are Christians around today who won't give you the impression that you can come to Jesus and just live how you like. That's tragic. 
but it's there. True Christian holiness, true Christian living is at a low ebb in the church today. So I apologise for the example that many of us, and I include myself, so-called mature Christians, give. But you know, I would also beg you, don't look to us. Look to Jesus. Find in him your inspiration. Live your life as a response to his love. And you know, then you'll find yourself living the kind of life that pleases God, that brings blessing to you, and that inspires us. You can inspire the rest of us. Let's look though at holiness, at this changed, transformed life that God expects his people to live. And let's begin by asking a question. It's a very important question. That is, why? Why should we be holy? Why should we? The answer Peter gives here is twofold. First, we should be holy because it is written. Basic, simple as that. For it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, from Leviticus there in verse 16, Be holy because I am holy. Quite simply then, we should be holy because God wants us to be holy. Because it is the command of God. Also, we should be holy because it is our nature. It should be our nature to be holy. You see, once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, well then the Bible tells us we are born again. And what that means is that, that God gives us a new nature. And God gives us a new heart that yearns for him. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, comes to dwell within us. We become, in a special spiritual sense, the children of God. And as his children, we should and we are expected to demonstrate something of the nature and life of our Father. If he truly is our Father, then his nature, his likeness, his holiness should be seen in us. As it says here in this call to holiness, verse 14, it says, as obedient children. Verse 16, as it is written, be holy because I am holy. But let's move on to ask another, a second question. And that is, if the answer to the question why, why should I be holy, is because it is written, because it is God's command, and also because it is our nature, because it is spiritually natural that we should reflect the nature of our Father, then what is the answer to the question, how? How can we be holy? Because you see, I've maybe been a bit hard and tough out there on Christians today. For many Christians, it seems to me, who are failing to be holy, they aren't failing because they don't want to be, because they can't be bothered. No, they, they want to live a life where they're separate from sin. They want to live a life of righteousness and goodness. They want to live that holy life that pleases God and they want to offer it up to him as a love offering. But they fail miserably to do it. They want to be holy but they don't know how to be holy. So the big question is, how can we be holy? Well, I just want to share four words that you hope you'll be able to remember. 
that in the main have got their roots at least in these few verses here in First Peter, which while of course they don't give us the whole story, I do believe they've got a lot to say about just how we can be holy. And the first word is recognition. Recognition. That is, we have got to recognise that becoming holy involves a fight. It involves a struggle. It involves a battle. That's woven throughout these verses here. It's not just something that we'll kind of drift into. No, because you see, although the compelling power of sin is broken in Jesus Christ, we don't have to sin anymore. As Romans 6, 8 says, you have been set free from sin, yet in what even in Jesus is still left in us, of the old man, the sinful man, sin still has a very real power, a very real pull in our lives. And if we ignore that, if even we're ignorant of that, and we do think that we'll just effortlessly, effortlessly drift into the kind of holy life that pleases God, Although I'm afraid if we think that we're going to suffer endless failure and heartbreaking disappointment in our spiritual experience. The second word that I believe is much to say about how we can become holy is work. Work. Having recognised the fact that it will be a battle. A battle that we've got all the resources available to win, by the way, but having recognised that it will be a struggle. We've got to then work at becoming holy. Now where that's made most clear here is in that phrase there in verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Because you see what's literally said here in the, in the original in the Greek, what's literally said is gird up the loins of your mind. And what this is, is getting at is the fact that in biblical days they generally wore long flowing Roads. How do you see? If they were going to be running or, or walking fast, or if they're going to be working, exercising in some way, doing something strenuous, what they then used to do was they used to gather these robes up and they used to tie them around their waist so they'd be out of their way, they wouldn't hold them back, and they could get on and do whatever needed to be done. You see, how this is used, what's being said here is that if we are to become holy, then we need to continually be in this kind of state of preparedness. We have to be alert. We have to be always ready to give of our best, always ready, seeking God, and ready instantly to obey if we are to grow in holiness. The third word that I believe here is, is relevant to holiness is pattern. That is, that there needs to be a pattern. There needs to be a, a discipline, if you like. Not a popular word, but there does. There needs to be a discipline if we have to be holy. Because, you see, at one time, there was a pattern to our lives. There was. Yes, our lives used to be dominated by self, by sin. Used to be dominated by our selfish, sinful desires. As it says here, verse 14, when we were ignorant, when we were without Christ, we used to live ruled, conformed, that is patterned to our sinful desires. But now you see, there has to be a new pattern to our lives. For we're told not to conform to our former 
evil desires. No, instead of being ruled by self, instead of being ruled by sin, we are instead, with God's enabling, to be, verse 13, self-controlled. That is, we have to put self under God's control and live under God's control to please him. Now that's the theory, and it's right and it's true, but what it means, I think, in practice, what it really means is acknowledging the things in this world, acknowledging your weaknesses, acknowledging the things that would pull you away from God, acknowledging those things that are rooted in the past that could still influence you today, acknowledging whatever it is in your life that might hold you back from a holy walk with Jesus and staying away from them, admitting your weakness and putting distance between them and you. I mean, 40 odd years ago, when I, I became a Christian, I had a bit of a problem with alcohol. I told you, if you think I'm a bit sometimes daft now, you should have seen me then. But anyway, so when I became a Christian, I stayed away from anything to do with alcohol. And it meant that I had to break off a lot of friendships with some people who were real characters and gave me a lot of fun. But some of those people, they did, they meant a lot to me. They were real good friends. You see, I knew at that time of my life, early as a Christian, I knew that if I continued to mix with them, if I just continued to go into the pub with them and maybe have a wee Coca-Cola or whatever, I knew that in my weakness, especially in my early days as a Christian, that it was much more likely for me to get pulled back into their world rather than me being able to win them and influence them for Christ. So you see, I had to change my life patterns. But then what we have to go on to do, it's not just enough to get, get rid of that. I then have to, you've got to build new patterns, new disciplines, new friendships, a whole new way of living. We've got to build that, the center around Jesus Christ. And you find instruction about the kind of life, the holy life that God wants for you in this Bible, in this word of God. That, as I said, I don't think is now read and honored and obeyed in the way it should be, even in the way that it used to be. He says, we do this. God will give us the power to live this life. As we turn to God, he will give us that power. <coughs> but that brings us on to the fourth word that's important in relation to holiness, I believe, to how we can be holy. And that word is decision. For you see, we have got to decide to be holy. We've got to choose to be holy. That really is the bottom line for Christians. There is a choice before us continually, again and again and again in life. In Christ, the power is there to enable us to choose not to sin, to enable us to choose to be holy. The power's there. As it says again in Romans 6, this time verse 12, it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. See, that's about choice. We've got to choose. However, we can choose otherwise. And if we don't recognize the battle that we're in, and if we don't work at our Christian life, if we don't change that pattern of our lives and discipline our lives, then the chances are that we will choose otherwise, that we will fail to be Holy. You see, we, we think, I think sometimes, think so often, 
that, that our problem is simply that sin that makes us fall, that, that crisis and when that's not so. I don't believe that's the case. That's just simply the end of the line. That's where our problem reveals itself most clearly. More often though, much more, our problem lies in the lack, that lack of understanding of what the Christian life is all about. That it is a battle. That's where the problem lies. It lies back there. Our problem lies not in that moment of sin, but in our failure to work at our faith. Our problem lies in the self-indulgence, the worldliness that makes us refuse to change the pattern of our life and that brings us into that place of temptation again and again. That's our real problem. The the disobedience that leads to sin in that instant, that is simply the end result of it. Well, Ron, I gave you two reasons as to why we should choose to be holy. Let me just finish by giving you two more. Two more reasons why we should choose. First then, we should choose holiness because holiness brings blessing now with so much more to come. Blessing now, because let me tell you, I would not under any circumstances change the life that I have now in Christ for the life that I used to live. People talk about giving things up once you come to know Jesus. And I know what they're talking, but what they're saying there, but you know, largely, these are people on the outside. Because while we might have to give certain things up, Yet what we gain in return makes those things seem as nothing. They're nothing, those little things. The joy that there is in knowing God and knowing that God loves you. The joy that there is in pleasing God and knowing that you bring Him joy. The peace that comes into your heart out of a relationship with God. These are the most precious things in life. And these are gifts that God gives us. I tell you, it's not holiness that makes people miserable. It's the lack of it. Holiness, true holiness, brings you joy. But then we're told here that there's more joy to come. It says verse 13, Set your, your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And the idea here seems to be that as we strive to be holy, to be different, to be transformed as a response to God's love, that he then, in some way, he's going to bless us, he's going to reward us in heaven. Now just think about that. We're seeking to respond to God's love. And he blesses us, rewards us, loves us just for doing that. Now that's grace. That's undeserved love. That is heavenly love. That is unbelievable love. But if we choose not to be holy, then there is judgment now with yet more to come. Verse 17 it says, Since you all call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. So you see, if we choose not to be holy as Christians, we will be judged, disciplined in this life. It says, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Well, 
Now, what exactly this will mean in each person's life, what exactly will mean, I cannot say. I really cannot say. But what I can say, out of my life experience, is that I have never known any Christian in my life who ceased to strive to walk in holiness, who stopped walking with Jesus, who's even got to the point of backsliding and walking away from Jesus. I do not know of any person whose life has benefited because of that. Sometimes they've maybe done well in life, they've become wealthy or whatever, and they've seemed on the outside to be doing fine. I can say again and again, these people have been miserable, unhappy people. Everyone. And we're told that, that this judgment in this life, that this is just a forerunner of the judgment that is to come. Because you see, at the last judgment, what's going to happen is that each one of us will have to stand before God and give an account of our lives before him. Second Corinthians 5 verse 10, it says, For we must all appear, all, everybody, before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, either good or bad. I want to be clear for the Christian, that's not a judgment where we can lose our salvation. But I tell you this, in heaven, where one word of affirmation from God will count more than all this world's wealth and happiness. In heaven, this is a judgment that will matter. This will matter. So we're called to be holy. We're told how we can be holy. By the grace of God then, may we choose to be holy. May we make that choice so that on that last day we can look our Father in heaven in the face and receive rather than condemnation his word of affirmation. Let's come and pray. Father, we know that holiness is your will for your people. Help us, Lord, to make that choice today. May we say, I choose, I decide to be holy. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.